Hey there, I'm Pete Townsend, and this is Money Never Sleeps. We look inside the minds of entrepreneurs and at the crossover of startups, enterprise, finance, technology, and life as we know it. Before we get into this week's episode, just a quick heads up that the ETH Global Waterloo Hackathon will take place at the Lazaridis Business School in Waterloo, which is a short road trip from Toronto, from June 23rd to the 25th. Apart from building awesome projects and participating in the prize pool of $225,000, ETH Global Waterloo will also feature a keynote with Vitalik Buterin, the co-founder of Ethereum. Don't miss a chance to build your big vision in the birthplace of Ethereum itself, Waterloo. Check out the details and sign up to be a hacker or a mentor at waterloo.ethglobal.com. On the show this week, we've got Tatiana Batskina, founder and CEO of Minty Code, a decentralized IP marketplace for software creators, bringing them together with software buyers and software contributors. By building communities around software creators' source code and enabling shared ownership, Minty Code helps software creators monetize their work and incentivize and reward contributors. Minicode is also one of the 12 founding teams forming the Techstars Web3 Accelerator class of 2023. Before founding Minticode in January of 2022, Tatiana began her career as a lawyer before returning to academia and adding disciplines in international finance, machine learning, and blockchain development. Through her time in academia and also through working with startups, Tatiana developed strong beliefs in digital transformation powered by artificial intelligence and global decentralization. In this episode, Tatiana and I dive into her background that inspired her passion for fairness and justice, her approach to developing Minty Code's competitive edge, and the natively collaborative context of Minty Code as a platform and a community. We also talk through some of the challenges she's faced so far as a founder CEO, and also her love for hackathons. All right here on Money Never Sleeps. Looking back at Tatiana Batskina in the digital world online, your LinkedIn profile, your website. In preparing for this chat, I had a look back again through your progression through academia, your progression through the freelancing you do for startups and all of that. Given those years between 2009, when you started studying law, all the way through when you launched Minty Code in January of last year of 2022, you went through a heck of a lot of different experiences, but was there something in there that you think inspired you to start Minty Code? What what was it that sent you down this path? Yes, I think this is very good question, and actually, I think my entire story is all about it. All led to Minty Code because the reason why I decided to be a lawyer ten years ago is because I had a very strong sense for justice. So I really was passionate about the concept of fairness and justice, bringing justice to the world. And unfortunately, I did not find myself happy as a lawyer. And that's why I decided to quit legal career. But the idea of fairness and justice was one of main theme of my, my life. And when I decided to quit a, a law firm, I, in 2017, I learned about blockchain technology and I saw how this can completely transform people's lives and especially legal world and legal transactions. And I was doing a lot of experiments with this technology. I attended a lot of hackathons. And in 2018, you probably did not, did not find this online, but I pitched an idea at one of hackathons. It was idea, it's, it was a project where I described how we can put the register of intellectual property on chain. And that was interesting because I completely forgot 
about this project for another four years. And in 2021, I remember it was around NFTs. And as a lawyer, I could not understand actually use case for NFTs. I could not believe that it, it, it can have any value. But then I, I read that source code of web was sold as NFT. And at first I was surprised to discover that World Wide Web has a creator because I did not, I did not have initial degree in computer science. I did not, I did not learn the history of computer science. I was surprised that there is a creator behind web and many people like me, they don't yeah. know about that. And the second surprising fact was that the only way to monetize this was many years after to sell it as NFT. And that's where I realized that many software creators, they are not rewarded fairly for their work because they work for free and we don't know their names. We don't know the names of real creators. We know famous entrepreneurs and founders, but we don't know uh, who are people who are building this, this technology. So that's how I became passionate about this idea of Minty Code and how we can bring more value to creators by helping them to, to, to track ownership and also share ownership with other software contributors and monetize their work by selling custom licenses and support services. Okay, I gotcha. And you mentioned fairness and justice a couple of minutes ago there. Was there something in particular that, you know, an experience that you had that said that this is going to be my focus? I think in general is, is just because when I, start, I started studying law, I think it was very interesting to see why do we have laws in the world, right? So why we as human civilization decided to create these rules is because there are not enough resources in the world and we need to allocate them fairly across different groups of people. And I did not come from a privileged background. So my, my parents, they worked a lot to, to be able to raise me. So that's why I saw how much work should be done to be able to live a good life. Yeah. I mean, just a massive disproportionate allocation of wealth and resources around the world. Yes, exactly. Uh, and is having the right way for society to ideally govern itself, but th that isn't an option right now, right? We are all governed. Maybe not all of us, you know, we could go down a philosophical rabbit hole on this, which could be pretty interesting, but it's really cool to hear that that's at the base of everything that you're thinking about here, Tatiana. Maybe let's go a little bit deeper onto Minty Code and what it is right now and, and what it will become. Mintycode is a decentralized IP marketplace for software creators bringing together software creators, software buyers, and software contributors. We help software creators to enable different monetization strategies, including selling software licenses, custom software licenses, and custom support and maintenance services, as well as building communities around their source code and sharing ownership by rewarding their contributors fairly with financial rewards or shares in intellectual property. That's, that's why Minticode is all about decentralized intellectual property. That is relatively new concept. And right now we will already build the first version of our platform and our first version of the product solves a very specific problem, the problem of badly maintained open source. That is the source of huge risk for a lot of corporations and smaller companies, startups, because 
every new project, recent research showed that 99% of new projects, they rely on open source components. And it's difficult to imagine right now a software developer who is not using open source everything. All major libraries, they are open source libraries. But if they are not well maintained, then it may create a lot of problems in future for the businesses. That's why our first feature we focus on supporting maintenance services when we help software creators not to rely on donations, but create a monetization strategies where they can define how they want to sell their support services. Do they want to support and maintain their open source alone or do they want to do it with a community and do they want to share financial rewards with a community as well? Okay, cool. Thinking about everything else that's going on right now in Web3, there's definitely going to be some type of alternate universe or perhaps this universe where there are others that are working on the same problem. How do you think you can get ahead of the curve with others that may be pursuing this same problem, Tatiana, and really get a competitive edge around MintyCode? I think this is a very good question. What was interesting when I learned about this problem, I was very surprised how big the problem is because it is a problem of every software developer. I personally interviewed over 100 software developers and every person recognized the problem. And the market is so big, so there are definitely, the, the problem is here, it's validated, it's clear that there is a problem. And there, there might be a different solutions to this problem. I think we're addressing this problem at a very unique angle because we focus on existing legal instruments such as intellectual co property and copyrights, and we're trying to we're trying to adjust them to a new world of Web3 and decentralization and also exploring how we use state-of-the-art machine learning techniques that will help us to, to check originality of the source code. And definitely, of course, we focus also on developing and building a community around, around our company. And I do believe in the power of decentralization. That's why I don't want to create a company that will be highly centralized. And right now I'm exploring different ways how we can make the company more decentralized. We're building MintyCode DAO. It is a community of software creators. And the goal of community is to define the principles of open source, but also resolve disputes between community members. Because if you have the soundboard of people who are experienced and who understand the topic, it's much easier to resolve disputes than to rely on legal instruments that are very expensive and very lengthy in process if you will need to protect your rights in court. Okay. Okay. That does make sense. And it's offering probably the decentralization of it, the distributed approach means that it's going to be something that is easier for people to reach economically, easier for developers to reach economically than if it were a centralized service with a straightforward legal approach to protect their IP, right? Exactly. Okay, good. On your journey so far, Tatiana, I know that as a CEO, as a startup CEO and founder, you face some challenges. What are the challenges that you think you faced in the tech industry and how are you overcoming them? Yes, I was building businesses for the last five years of my life, and I, I had a lot of challenges. And I think the main challenge for a startup founder is uncertainty. It's really difficult to navigate through uncertainty when you don't have sufficient information. You just need to guess and try and experiment. And sometimes your experiments, they don't work. And then 
I think you will need to try again. And that's what I was doing for the last five years. And right now for MintiCode, based on all my previous experiences of building businesses, I decided to start MintiCode with actually validating the problem. And that's how, that's why I went to a lot of hackathons, hacker houses, conferences, and I spoke to real software engineers and developers, interviewed over 100 personally and heard about um, their problems, what, what they don't like about open source, why they don't contribute to open source. And I found, for example, that 70% of people don't contribute to open source because uh, they don't want uh, to work for free. And yeah, so I think it's, it's difficult to make a decision when you don't have sufficient information. And the only solution to that is trying to collect this information and do a, a proper research before making a decision. But sometimes it's also important to make a decision quick without having access to information. Yeah, it's tough. And everybody's got, I think it's your risk appetite to find how comfortable you are in making decisions with incomplete information. Like I've always pointed to the number 60% as the level that I get comfortable with, but I don't know whether I actually have 60% of the information or 30% of the information or 70% of the information or a hundred. It's gut instinct. And it's just that feel. And do you think you have enough there based on your experience? And then what is the risk of being wrong, right? The risk of being wrong. And that comes with, I mean, I spent 20 years in traditional finance before I jumped into the startup ecosystem back in 2016. And to me, it was very much that I was just, it was hammered into me, sense of risk, sense of risk, sense of risk. And you get that over and over and over again in, in, in the types of roles that I was in. So I've got that built into my gut instinct, but you're right. Someone who's just five years into their journey may not have that. And so, well, great, go out and ask the customer what it is that they really want. And that's not just a good sense of risk approach or an information gathering approach. That's what you should be doing when you're launching a startup, right? Going out and talking to the customer and see what they want. Yes, exactly. Right? And also to add on top of that, I think also the fact that I was a lawyer, it's, it definitely affected the way how mm. I make decisions. And sometimes it's even more difficult to make a decision quickly because I understand all risks because all my five years of work as a lawyer was about trying to predict the risks and mitigate them. That was my job. And in a situation where I'm not able to predict the risks because there are so many, it's, it's really, I'm learning how to make those decisions quickly. And for the last five years, I think that's what I learned. Yeah. Yeah. I was listening to a podcast recently where it was someone who had said that one of the earliest things she did in her career was she was a tax lawyer because she felt it would be easy that the tax laws are already written, that all you need to do is look at a book and it's a yes or a no when you get a question. And when you're dealing with, with IP, with decentralization, with Web3, with other parts of the world that are just so uncertain, it's a much different story. I get that. I get that. Going a bit wider, Tatiana, you describe yourself as a tech futurist and that you believe that artificial intelligence and the decentralized economy will not be a danger to the society if we develop and use it responsibly. Right? Can you tell us about how you shaped this view? You've touched a little bit on this already, but perhaps just go a bit deeper into that. 
Yes, I think when I quit my legal job, the job as a lawyer, I, I asked myself, what do I want to do in my life and what I'm passionate about? And I realized that I'm passionate about technology and especially about how technology is changing lives of people, millions of people. And that's why I, I moved completely into tech. And also I, I did research in Oxford in computer science department. And my research was primarily about responsible and explainable AI. And what is interesting about AI is that nobody understands how it works, but it works. If you think about existing large language models, that it's so powerful, but even researchers, we don't understand why it works. Uh, and that is very dangerous because we don't know whether these models, whether they understand what they generate. And that's why I think it's also important to, to make this decision about decentralization. I believe that the future will be decentralized. As I said before, I, I'm passionate about fairness and justice. And I believe that right now, big corporations, they control a lot of resources. And every software developer, they have to assign their intellectual property rights. And even as a researcher, if you work for Google or Meta or other big research labs, you need to assign your intellectual property to these companies. So, it, and there were a lot of recent news when researchers at these companies, they were not happy about the way how this technology was used within these companies. And the reason for that is because these companies, they are controlled by a small number of stakeholders. They are not controlled by real creators and real creators, they don't have control of how technology that they have created can be used. And I think here there is a risk and danger of decentralization, but also a huge potential where we can allow more people to decide actually how this technology should be used. What is benefit for society? Why a small group of people is deciding what, what will be beneficial for society, for example, OpenAI, they don't, they did not release for quite a long time. The, um, a lot of information about the way how the data, how their models were trained. They just gave access to API, but this researcher couldn't do a lot of experiments with that. And the question is, they, the reason why they were able to train these models is because they had access to a lot of resources and anyone who has access to a lot of compute can train a a transformer model, transformer architecture on, on a large data set. You don't, it's, there is nothing unique. There is nothing unique about that. But what is, what is interesting that because not all people have, have sufficient resources to do that, we have the situation where there are companies that are deciding for us what is good for people, what is dangerous content or what is not. For example, I tried to use ChatGPT to generate a story about future. I have another small project called AI Futurist. It's about AI-generated illustration to AI-generated book about future humans in, in, in thousand uh, years. And what is interesting about that when I tried to generate it using ChatGPT, it said that it does not predict future because it's danger to society to predict <laughs> danger. Well, yeah, danger to society to predict future using ChatGPT. But why? Of course, I understand they, this parameter they added to the model that it's danger. But is it up to the company to decide was it, what is danger to society? The way how our society works is that generally we have governments, right? We have parliament and some 
legal instruments, the way how we vote and decide what, what will be the law. But right now, the law is defined by these big corporations, and that's absolutely, it's very dangerous. And um, yeah. yeah, yeah, I know. I, and I'm becoming more and more in tune with this since I left the corporate world, you know, a while back. But there's this big word called corporatism that was never even part of my vocabulary until after I left. And I started hanging out with some people that were very much pro-decentralization. And, but there, there's, you know, c coming back to the number one point, if you are not paying for the product, you are the product, right? So are we the product? Are we what AI needs in order to fuel itself? Right. You could think about that example you gave of, well, ChatGPT will not predict the future or is not allowed to predict the future. Is that because if we ask ChatGPT a question about the future and it gives a description that they've learned and surmised or sorry, they I'm saying I'm calling ChatGPT they <laughs> it <laughs> that it's surmised and developed through its own observation of the world and with the learning models that are in place. And that if it were to paint a picture of what it looks like in text, that would that then perhaps become a self-fulfilling prophecy, right? Through code. Now that that's a big, a big idea. But th what I was thinking is that you can just go over to Dolly 2, which is the artistic rendering image maker. You give it a few words and it gives you a picture. And I've been using that a lot recently for the artwork for this podcast. And so if you ask for a picture, of what the future will look like. Could the AI models then interpret what that image looks like and turns that into words, and then that becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy, right? You can go into circular, circular reference here. It's fascinating stuff. Looking at looking back at the business for a second, that everything we're talking about here with decentralization, with community, with collaboration, all of that is critical. And especially in Web3, where, like we've been talking about, having a DAO approach, having that community-led contribution to the development of the overall vision, the overall enterprise, no matter how it's backed, whether through a limited company or through a DAO, that one of the critical things there is partnerships and collaborations that you may do. How do you expect to leverage partnerships and collaborations to help Minty Code grow? Uh, this is a very good question. I think the reason why we decided to start with Web3 communities because many blockchain ecosystems there and many blockchain protocols, they're open source. And that's the way how they actually build these new chains. When you create a new blockchain, you need to ensure that there are more applications built on top of that. It means that there are more developers who are using these chains to build on top of that. And then there is bigger transaction volume if there are new applications that are using their chain. But what was interesting, I think there were many challenges for these dApps that were building on, on new chains. First of all, if you need to learn new chain, it's a new learning curve, right? How it works, how to integrate with that. And there is no way how you can actually get access to immediate support. Of course, there are communities, but if you want to get it faster, if you want to get immediate support of community, you definitely need to to offer some rewards to people who can help you to build that. And that's what Aminticode can help with to, to these communities. And also we are, the way how these communities, how they work, it's all about collaborating and contributing to open source. And if you contribute something to existing chains, 
I think it would be fair if you would be rewarded for that. So that's that's what is all about Minty Code. We help software creators to get fair rewards for their work. Along the way, through all the experiences you've had with getting to this point, I'm sure that you've had some chats with some other aspiring entrepreneurs about the path that they could go down. Any advice that you would give to entrepreneurs in general about getting started? Yes, this is a very good question because I'm actually frequently asked about how to start a company, how to become an entrepreneur. And I think here I frequently have heard that there is no right time to start a business. You should start it right now if you want. But to be honest, what I learned from my experience, there is a right and wrong time to start a business. And you definitely need to be in a position where you have sufficient resources including financial resources, support from your family and friends, as well as emotional resources to do a business. And if you don't feel that you are ready, then it's probably time for you to, to find these resources and then start a business. But also from my experience, I, wasn't, I didn't start a business when I had enough resources. But if you don't have resources, if you have nothing right now, there is nothing to lose. And then there is no other choice for you to do business. If you don't have a job, if you're unemployed, then just find the problem you're passionate about and start exploring how you can solve this problem, at least for a small group of people, and see if you can scale this to create a viable business. I gotcha. It's really helpful. We're at the point of the discussion, Tatiana, where we ask the last question we ask of everybody. What is one thing that people wouldn't expect to know about you? So this is a very difficult question, right? Because I think um, there is a lot of information about me online, but uh, there is also a lot of private information. I think what people probably did not expect, what I'm passionate, when people ask what I'm passionate about, I'm really passionate about hackathons. I discovered them in 2017 when I attended my first hackathon. And after that, I participated for the last six years, I participated in over 20 different hackathons. And wow. with, with different ideas and different projects. So I have a lot of ideas. So if something will then run with Minticot, but I'm sure it will not. <laughs> I have a pipeline of projects <laughs> and ideas I can start working on. How do you kind of just rock up to somebody on a hackathon and say, hey, can I tell you about my idea? Or hey, what are you working on? What, how do you do that? You've, master of hackathons, I'm asking here. Yeah, so this is a very good question because I remember my first hackathon. I, I knew nothing about software in development. I was a lawyer. I did not know what is the difference between front-end and back-end. And I just had an idea. I had an idea. It was an idea of AI tool that recognizes skin cancer using artificial intelligence. And it was hackathon about healthcare. And I remember I just was speaking to different people in, in, in this hackathon and asking if they, well, do they want to work on this idea or not? And of course, it was very difficult and it was very challenging because many people, first of all, they did not want to work with me because I did not have at all experience and understanding of software development process. And then also, I think the problem was quite challenging, but it's all about, I think, be ready to be rejected. And then finally, you will find someone who will be working with you. Oh, you can just work alone and that's also fine. And during this first hackathon, we actually, I found a team and they were very passionate about my idea and they did it. They actually implemented this a chatbot where you could 
upload a picture and then using artificial intelligence, it would detect, detect the probability of skin cancer. And then this company, it's actually, we, I think we, we got a third place and then wow. this company is still operational. <laughs> so the business is still existing. And I think that's, yeah, just don't, don't be shy, uh, ask people around and you will definitely find someone who will be working with you. And if you will not find, it's also fine. I, I was, I've had several hackathons where I was just solo founder and th there was no other team members, but it was good. And I found it's even more exci exciting because, because then you have all attention. <laughs> And I was, I was told that I'm so brave that I present alone on the stage. So that, that's also fun. That's great. It's a wonderful strategy. It's always when in doubt about how to make your voice heard is just go get up on stage, you know? So awesome. And what's the best way for people to get in touch with you, Tatiana? Um, yes, I'm on LinkedIn, also on Twitter, and you can message, send me mail at uh, Tatiana at Mintico.io. Wonderful. All right. Well, thank you so much. This has been a great chat and really looking forward to see you later on. Thank you, Pete. That does it for this week, folks. Thanks to Tatiana Botskina for opening up her mind to help us figure out why she does what she does. And you can learn more about Tatiana and Minty Code in the show notes on our website, moneyneversleeps.ie. If you like what you heard, please leave us a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify as it helps others to find the show. Thanks to Conan Brophy from Create Sound for mixing and editing this episode. Conan is an excellent media man to get in touch with when you're thinking about launching your own podcast. As for me, I'm an early stage startup investor focused on where fintech meets crypto and crypto meets Web3, and I lead the Techstars Web3 Accelerator. There are plenty of links in the show notes on moneyneversleeps.ie and how to get in touch, so don't hesitate to reach out. Finally, till next time, thanks for listening. See you!